Hello and welcome to the Customer Insight Leader Podcast. Data, analytics, big data, data science, machine learning, customer insight, behavioral science, blockchain, data ops, data engineering, agile working, phew, too many terms, too many things to think about. Do you as a leader need somewhere to turn, to hear what other leaders are doing, to hear what really makes a difference in your business? Welcome. The Customer Insight Leader Podcast is here for you. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a different leader in the fields of customer insight, data, and analytics to hear what they really do, what really makes a difference. So settle down, get that cup of coffee, and enjoy the Customer Insight Leader Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Customer Insight Leader Podcast, a place to hear from today's leaders in the fields of customer insight, data analytics, and data visualization. I'm your host, Paul Lockton, and with me today is Neil Richards. Neil is a current three-time Tableau Zen Master and Public Ambassador and works as a business intelligence lead at JLL in the UK, dividing his time between producing business dashboards and assisting with internal community building and data viz enablement for that organization. However, Neil's probably best known to listeners as being very active in the UK's data visualization community. He's a former knowledge director of the Data Visualization Society and the current editorial director at Viz for Social Good. Neil also blogs, just like me, at questionsindataviz.com, where he regularly discusses and demonstrates his personal and often unorthodox data visualization projects. Welcome, Neil. Hi, Paul. Thank you very much. Um, that's a great introduction. Thank you. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to be on the podcast today. Great. Well, what a brilliant response. Thanks, Neil. Good to have you with us, too. Having chatted with you at a few different DataViz events and followed your shares on social media for what must be years and years now, I'm delighted to finally have your expertise on the podcast. So uh, let's get started, as they say. Uh, listeners will, will be familiar that I've asked every guest on this podcast to give us a bit of their backstory, if you like, um, so that people know where you're coming from, your kind of career story to date. So let's continue in time-honored fashion. Could you tell us, Neil, a bit about your background and how you got into the world of data visualization? Yeah, sure. So, um, well, it's interesting that you say, you know, you've been following my shares for for years and years, um, because really it seems like I haven't been in data visualization all that long, maybe about six or seven years, I think. Um, majority of my career, certainly my early career, was in market research. Um, mm. And within that, it was in um, survey design and data processing. Mm-hmm. So although it was very much sort of hands-on with data, um, what we would do would be, I don't know if you remember, um, sort of producing those tables and tables of um of, of charts, which would just be text tables, which would um, really essentially the, the client or your client service person, they wanted to see every question by every answer. Um, so we would produce that and we would produce tables and tables. Um, back in the uh, back in the good old days, that would mean printing them out in decks of maybe 300, 500 pages and sometimes even putting them in, in boxes and uh, sending them on the back of uh, motorbikes and couriering them from one uh, agency in London to another. 
Wow. Um, yeah. Sadly, I remember sitting through some of those sort of presentations. <laughs> yes. Yes, I bet. Usually sort of folks my age sort of start mentioning back in the days of um, <laughs> punch cards by, by this point, which was really pretty much when I started. So um, I, I, I did enjoy that. It was um, it kind of suited me um, from a, a being numerate point of view. Mm. Um, but really, we were a long way out of the sort of connection of being able to do anything or, or make decisions or even help people make decisions with their with their data. Um, mm. So, I mean, eventually, sort of towards the end of my market research career, I was in a, um, a, a small sort of consulting agency and we investigated Tableau. Um, we wondered if that might be a way of, um, uh, yeah, a way of visualizing our data for, for our clients. Um, mm. We didn't necessarily get on with it at first. Maybe we didn't have the knowledge in-house and um, Tableau themselves were sort of quite new to, to visualizing uh, survey data at that time. Mm -hmm. So um, although it wasn't sort of a, a marriage made in heaven, I, I was still kind of um, hooked on the idea of data visualization. It, it seemed um, many worlds forward from the sort of standard uh, reports that I was producing. Um, right. So that's sort of kind of where I wanted to sort of take my career going going on from there. Um, I used to, I used to have the sort of well, I, I still do have the sort of coffee table data visualization books, the sort of data is beautiful, that kind of thing. Right. Um, yeah. And I sort of realised that you could actually, um, with a bit of time and effort and, and skill, you could actually use um, any kind of data visualization method or your um, your BI tool. To um, to have a go at sort of generating this this much more interesting um, output. Mm. Um, so I mean, in terms of the rest of my career, I then sort of I, I moved through um, a few positions where I sort of tried to um, use uh, Tableau specifically, mm -hmm. um, try to up upskill in that. Um, I was in a couple of positions where I had a um, I had a, a chance to be involved in producing outputs and, and dashboards, um, but very often that would be part of my role as well as sort of other um, other parts of the administration that I was involved in. So, yeah, um, a lot of what I was then doing was outside of my role, outside of my career, sort of trying to learn how I could get get better at um, at visualizing. So that's when I sort of ah. um, got involved with with Tableau and uh, a lot of the um, community initiatives. Doing it for um, fun. Yeah, absolutely. It did it did really become my hobby. Um, mm. you know, mm. it was, I suppose, you know, prior to then, I might have found that I just spent a bit too much time in the evening on my computer playing a game or um, you know, on social media or whatever. Mm. That mm. my my sort of hobby passing the time then became um doing bar charts or doing um, <laughs> more interesting uh, ways of visualizing things or sort of creating more um artistic visualizations as a result of challenges that kind of thing yeah um, so it just yeah it, it just sort of became a, a sort of change of, of habit which helped me professionally uh, which i enjoyed mm. creatively and, and logically as well and um sort of took me took me to the next the, the next level um so i suppose sort of fast forward through those last last few years uh, my, my previous job to, to this was at Groupon where I sort of really helped to build um, sort of internal data communities, been part of the uh, center of excellence that they had there. Mm -hmm. um, and I've now moved on to uh, JLL, which is um, a, a 
a large organization which has a great reputation for its um, BI, business intelligence um, capability. We have all sorts of teams doing all sorts of great things there and you know, people involved in a center of excellence as well. So it's a, it's a really good opportunity to, um, uh, to, to spread my wings and, and get involved in all sorts of interesting projects. Great, great. Thank you, Neil. And a nice, nice whistle-stop tour. I, I, I wonder, I'll pick up on the that whole side of um, doing it for fun or extracurricular data viz, if I put it that way as well. Yeah. I wonder whether you see, what do you look back and see that as essential to your development? Do you think you wouldn't have managed to hone your data viz skills or pick up things as quickly if you hadn't done that? Um, I, I do, actually, yes. It, mm. It's... I wouldn't say it has to be essential to anyone's development, but you, you, know, you go on personal experience, don't you? And I would mm, certainly mm. encourage people in a sort of similar um, position to me in, in their um, careers or starting a, a data visualization um, career to, to think about these things. Um, for, for me, it was because also for me, it was um, a way of communicating more and I mean, not just communicating with data, but communicating more with people who are interested in the output of that data. Um, yeah. in, in my market research world, it was almost literally, you know, you were in, you were in another building in your jeans and T-shirt, not sort of allowed to talk to the client, the, mm. the clients. You know, you had mm. this client service barrier of, mm. of, um, uh, of communication and mm. just sort of being involved in data visualization, but also being involved in um, sort of community activities. It. it really sort of opened up your network it opened up the um experience about how to how to present your work how to um talk to others about it how to get others involved how to encourage mm. them how to you know how to how to learn from others in the field all that kind of thing um so i would yeah certainly it's um it's been a been a huge help to me and it's something that we try and um, advocate um internally at jll and other places i've worked at we try and um build great data um, communities so that mm. we can have these internal um, opportunities opportunities but uh, we also encourage people to get involved um, externally as well yes 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 that, that, that makes sense to me I, i'm also struck listening to you uh, as you mentioned neil as you shared the that, that kind of market research background i guess a lot of the people that i've spoken to or heard speak on data visualization came from if they haven't come from a kind of design and an artistic kind of background, they, they come from data analytics, data science, th th those kind of backgrounds. I wonder, given your background in the world of market research agencies, did you see a particular need for data viz there? You know, because I, I, I agreed with you about those massive decks and what a pain they were to sit through as well. Do you think the world of market research was crying out for data viz, particularly compared to like data and analytics and the, the other areas? Um, in in a word, yes. Um, now you know I I can only say that from the from the caveat of the the, the bubble and the position that I was in. Mm. Um, but certainly it it was. Um, I think partly because of the nature of surveys, the nature of having um, having so many questions and having so many ways to uh, to slice these questions and so many mm. um, demographics to look mm. by. Um, it was the the mentality was very much just give me everything um yeah. and if you if you had to give absolutely everything to the client maybe just to, to prove that you asked all these questions or to sort of demonstrate they're really sort of um giving them their money's worth then visualization probably wasn't really um, an option 
Um, so maybe maybe it was uh, a requirement in in terms of a of a mindset. Um, now that's not to say that these things weren't going on, or that's not to say that that um, there isn't a, a much better way of thinking about these things, sort of six or seven years later. But um, certainly from the position I was in, sort of you know with um being closely aligned to the the data as it came out from the surveys that that's how it felt yes yeah and, and certainly from my experience as well when kind of commissioning agencies and as i say sitting through the results being presented back i'd have loved years ago it's happening a bit more now to both have more visual presentation of the data but also just less shown you know it's trying to persuade some of my market research suppliers that I really didn't need to see the width, you know, I didn't need to know they'd done all that. I, if they could distill it down to two or three slides of what was found to be really interesting, and I'll assume they checked everything else, you know, they really would have more impact. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that you said, you know, you speak to a lot of people who've perhaps had that sort of um, similar background. Um, I'm, I'm always a sort of a strong advocate for when we're looking at people's background in um, uh, data science and data visualization in particular to mm. to look to look past STEM people. There's plenty of us mm. who are, you know, mm. have that. I have a, math, a mathematics background, and there's plenty with that sort of STEM background. But the the digital, um, the, uh, sorry, not the digital arts, the, um, the the liberal arts background can can really. Um, it can really add to the to the skill set. It can really add yeah. to the skill set of someone who needs to um, present data. Um, you're going to have. Um, I'm going to use a term which I which I often sort of pull people up on because I don't really like the term. I'm talking about softer skills, yeah. but I think it, you know I think it probably is a good um, a good term to be using there. And also just the sort of the the creativity and the different way of being able to to um, think about data and um, it's. It, it often surprises me when I meet people and, and speak to people um, who are really successful in uh, data visualization, and I might find out that their background is in literature, or it might mm. be in music, um, mm. you know, as a performer mm. or something like that. Uh, and I really sort of, um, I really celebrate the, the difference of backgrounds that um, that come into the profession. Yeah, it's a great call out, Neil. Thank you for sharing that. I, I would, I would echo having discover people with humanities backgrounds, uh, theology, philosophy, all, all, all right. sorts. Um, right. and, and that that cognitive diversity of having not just the skills they bring, but the different way of looking at it, I completely echo that. I think, I think you're completely right. Actually, not just for the data visualization, but for interpretation of analysis and the way they think about the problem as well. Oh, absolutely, right, right across the board. The other thing you mentioned, um, and as a, as a liker of books myself, I kind of uh, grabbed onto it, I guess, is you mentioned the old coffee table, beautiful data viz books, Information is Beautiful, David mm -hmm. McCandless, the, all, all, all those kind of plethora, even controversially, I might say some of Edward Tufty's I, I find lovely, even if he's less in favour these days. Um, I wonder what your reaction was to, to such books. And I ask that because I know some people who they see like a, a beautiful McCandless book or something and they're inspired, oh, data visualization can change the world it's beautiful I want to create such an object but other people almost as many I've talked to are kind of put off the standard looks so high they go oh well I could never create that and I've only got excel to use anyway so I'll give up what was the impact on you of coffee table data art books well the impact on me was was pretty akin to the first description you, you um, mm. mentioned there 
but I would say that with the with the caveat because um I think I think you very much learn the the place for for the kind of um, beautiful visualization that we talked about and that place very often isn't um you know on the uh on on the desk of your CEO or um you know on the iPad at your business meeting you know mm -hmm. it's there is a, a different place very often and it, it's funny we we um we're recording this just after a weekend where you could not move for um, mentions of the spiral visualization from uh, New York Times opinion piece. And yes, I joined I think, in that debate. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think um, that that really um, showed just in the course of, of one um, visualization and all of the reaction to it. The different sort of the different sides of, of that particular story and the different facets of data visualization there are. And you can, you know, you can be unconventional like me. You can be someone who advocates try a try a spiral for um a, a timeline, see how it looks, see what the reaction of your people, you know, your intended audience are. Mm -hmm. You can um you can sort of hit get people who are very much on the um, and Andy Cockrief, he, he speaks of a sort of spectrum, if you like, from yeah. uh, you know, between form and function, which might have someone like um, Tufty uh, or Few on one end, and it might have, you know, information is beautiful on the other end. Yeah, yeah. And it's sort of, it almost doesn't matter where you are in that. Even if, if like me, you really favour the, the sort of unconventional and the beautiful, and I'm doing air quotes here. And yes. You... Know, <laughs> you you still accept that that's not what you're going to bring to the table. You know, that's not what, mm, mm. Th that's not what you put in a, um, an, in a headline or on TV or um, in the, in your boardroom, that's mm. what you put in an opinion piece, or that's what you share mm. on Twitter, or that's what you put in your um, personal creative portfolio, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and that, so I do think there are, there are caveats and so many people are rightly, not really interested in the in the arty side of things um my my own level of interest in it comes a because it's the first sort of creative thing i've ever found that i can do as a as an aging mathematician <laughs> um but you know b because you you learn skills you you learn the the skills it takes to try and make your bi software um instead of move your timeline from left to right to make it sort of spiral around um those are quite sort of strong technical skills which yeah um you know you might sort of go back to your your old trigonometry to remind yourself how to do things in a circle and you might have to do quite a lot of um manipulation of the data mm. but that will that will hold you in good stead that will hold you in good stead where mm. maybe at work there's some kind of radial chart which the client has asked for and you might think well i learned those skills doing that um you mm. know mm. doing that personal visualization that was a bit different there so um, I, I am an advocate for for those kind of things, but I, I think it is important um, not to feel that every visualization should look like that. And in many um, circumstances, no visualizations should look like that. You know, they should be um, clear and simple and easy to understand. Um, but I, I enjoy the whole spectrum. It's a nice way of putting it. Thank you, Neil. No, thank you. In interesting how much we got drawn back into that extracurricular activity and the the benefits of it honing sure. skills that you might not get a chance to learn. Um, I, I wonder that if, when we come back to the work situation, and I, I totally applaud your point, I think it's absolutely right that they're not um, self-indulgent, but they, they perform their, their form effectively where database is used within a business that's just got other priorities. But I wonder, have you had some opportunities where 
given your more creative work outside, maybe more flamboyant, maybe more unusual, have you had some of those rarer opportunities where you went, either I need to shake the company up a bit internally and give them something that looks very different, or for another reason, you've gone, ah, here is a time for a beautiful or unusual data visualization, even in quite a dry corporate environment. Um, disappointingly, the answer is is probably not really. Um, there we go. <laughs> Thanks for being honest, Neil. It was worth. Yeah, it I mean, it's a, certainly this having this sort of variety, and and I I work in in Tableau, which means that um, the. The, the vast majority of what I do is up there on my Tableau public profile for, for yeah. all to see. And if there, yeah. there was a go and have a look at that, you wouldn't see the um, the the, uh, the bar charts and dashboards I do for work because obviously, you know, they're, they're not shareable. You would see some of the more um, creative and unusual side of things. Yeah. And the Tableau public profile is a really good um, tool. It's like a portfolio. You know, it's no different to... Um, artists carrying big portfolios of, the, of their work under their arm. Yes. It's a really good tool to demonstrate your skill, to demonstrate your um, the your flexibility, I guess, and the the different sort of ideas that you might want to bring in. Um, there are there are small there are small ways where I've just been able to do sort of particular things that that I've learned that are a little bit different and bring them into business dashboards. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, you you do that within the constraints of of what is a, a sensible thing to do, if you yeah. like. Um, and and I, I think just, um, you know, if, if you can, what I would say, I, I think my answer earlier now was a sort of almost no, but I think, you know, you can bring 1% of that in, you can bring 2% of that in. Right, you, know, great. you can bring in the tricks of, um, that you might have had in, I don't know, um, in in labeling or or layout mm. or, or setup or things that you just sort of wanted to do a little bit more unorthodoxly and then you might think well actually this is the right thing for this particular um business dashboard because you know it'll do a better job of telling the story it'll do, or it'll do a better job of of um bringing the data to the front and the and the metadata to the back something like that that makes sense neil thank you thank you for clarifying that yeah, I, I can i can i can see that i guess i'm struck also the particularly with what you've begun to share now um your data visualization skills have really grown quite quickly as as you say it's maybe only sort of six seven years on this journey and and yet here you are a a leading light in the uk database community i think undoubtedly um i wonder what you felt has really helped i mean you've mentioned that extracurricular activity with a publicly available data or, or stuff you had yourself outside for kind of for fun um, obviously, the role of communities help at one point from a Tableau Zen master, which you've you've gone on to become yourself with or mm-hmm. without karate chops. And mm-hmm. looking back, I wonder what you'd recommend to others seeking to follow in your footsteps. If there's anyone listening to this who they're fairly early on as well, and they think I really need to pick up data viz skills, what would you be recommending has worked for you? Um, I, I would go back to the idea of um, uh, community projects in, in general. The, the one that the many or most people would refer to was um, Makeover Monday, which yeah I think is no long, longer running, but there are many similar projects. It ran for about five years, and it was always the opportunity to, to have a, a data set um, and to create a visualization that was better than the original. So usually they might take something that had been displayed um, either badly or, or not very excitingly. Um, and it's, 
other than that, you 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 really had no brief. It was a free data set every week. Um, you know, usually um, already cleaned and and in the right format, so you didn't have to worry about that. And you know, either it's a perfect opportunity to do a really nice, well designed um, business style dashboard, or a, or you know, really nice, um, simple charts just to hone those particular skills. You might think, oh, I could use, um, I could. I could try a Sankey chart here. I've never had mm. a chance to mm. do that at work. I've never used one. I reckon this might sort of fit the data and you can try it. So it was always a, a really good opportunity to, to try something new. Um, but the great thing about it and the great thing about being open and the great thing about presenting your, your work or putting it back or displaying it on Twitter is you you learn a, from um, from what you do, so you learn perhaps you know each week you're getting a little bit better. Your um, you know, your tips and tricks and and best pre- practices are going to improve, but you learn from what others do. You you get to um, see other people's style, other people's um, tricks, other people's mm-hmm. ideas, and you know you see other people's journeys. And I know it's a, a sort of cliche to say it's kind of a, a journey through all the visualizations that you do. But yeah, that's yeah. that's pretty much the, the process that it is. Um, you get involved not just with yours, but with everybody else's around you, um, and it means you know you get that support. You offer that support to others. Um, I, I say I mentioned Makeover Monday. It's I, I don't think it's active at the moment, but there are there are so many others. Um, certainly, if you um, if you follow most of the Zen masters and ambassadors and all sorts of people on the Tableau community, you'll see that yeah. there's a lot of these things happen each week. Um, but they're, they're very much not um, tool specific. I mentioned Tableau because it's what I know, but there's opportunities to do similar things in, in um, Power BI, or you might want to do um, Tidy Tuesday in, in R or D3 or anything like that. Um, yes. th- there are so many um, sort of communities, if you like, that, that once you sort of take the plunge and, and sort of perhaps put your first thing out there, you can look back, you know, one year, two year, three years into your journey and think, oh, really, did, did I do that? <laughs> uh, I, I thought that was okay and nobody yeah. told me it was awful they encouraged me to join and get better now i might look back and cringe but i can see how i've improved and i can see how it's um it's really sort of helped me help me on my journey so i would yes i would i would thoroughly recommend that great that's the, the very encouraging thing to hear as well I, i'd also put a put a note in for colonel spam and Affleck storytelling with data community similarly has, has challenges coming out regularly there great to participate with and, and very much learned from seeing other people's solutions to those with surprising diversity you do get surprised how other people tackle things and you go I'd never have thought of doing that but actually that does kind of work you know, and it expands your thinking I guess the other thing that, that struck me listening to you Neil was it sounds a very kind community I, I guess maybe it's because I'm on Twitter quite a bit but you sometimes see a bit of a, a bad name for how quickly people will critique publicly produced data visualizations and there's been some calls for kindness shall we say in the wider community of not always leaping on hashtag yeah. bad data viz so i guess i'm hearing from you that in these communities of challenge it was a kind community if you were a bit rusty and not that great people weren't having a go at you you got encouraged rather than critique too much yeah absolutely um i mean sort of without without wishing to generalize i mean i would i would find or i would hear i don't really know that for example if you go onto reddit which is a much bigger wider you know that's the the community of of everyone out there on the internet you know then maybe you you can you can hear some some um 
unhelpful stuff yes. pretty quickly. I don't know. I think just that I think the volume and the echo chamber there, and and you know, I think that might be a little bit of a, a scarier place to exist. But I, I say that from from what people have told me. I've I've never sort of dipped my toe in that particular water. Um, but the, yeah, the, the Twitter community that I'm part of has been very helpful. And I would also sort of um, mention the Data Visualization Society, um, yes. which is amazing. It only started up ooh, about two years ago, I think, um, just from, from three guys who, who started it up as a result of a conversation. And um, now there are, well, crikey, there's certainly we're well into five figures in terms of the number of um, people who are there. Even so, me now, Neil, finally even me. <laughs> there you go, you see, you see um and and again that that's a very a very safe space to to share mm. to um to to talk to critique to to help um and the number of um different opportunities that come as a result of that you know not just in sort of slack um channels and conversations but also in um some of the initiatives that they that they run some of the the fireside chats or some of the um competitions things like that that's uh, it's another great um uh, safe place to be involved with Good, good. Always good, good to hear that that humanity among the community. I guess another thing that I've I've seen in your work and heard in conversation with you before is the social benefit of a lot of the work you've done over the years. And as we're speaking about the database community, I have to say, I think even compared to the data science community, which is pretty good at this, it seems a community with a particular passion for doing good in the world with its technical skills. But you're obviously particularly involved in the Viz for Social Good. Um, a charity. Do you want to tell us a bit more about what you've seen through that work and the the benefits you see of using yeah. data visualization to achieve good in the world? Yeah, sorry, thank you for mentioning that. I was just I was kicking myself for, for mentioning sort of communities in general at the last question and not um, <laughs> not taking the chance to, to plug this for social good. Yeah, go for um, it. But yeah, I mean that's that's sort of one of many of these things, but it, it's evolved over the last sort of four or five years from from people who um, wanted to practice their visualization, who wanted to sort of um, regularly take part in projects, but didn't want it to just be something fun or something innocuous or something just to sort of promote themselves. They wanted it mm. to be, uh, or we wanted it to be something that, um, yeah, people would really find useful. So um, it it was. It was set up, we're going strong now. We have probably something like six or nine projects every year. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a, I mean, it's all online, so it's a global initiative now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really an opportunity, again, for people to uh, to get hold of a data set. But this is a data set that comes from a, a non-profit. So we work with non-profits um, all around the globe. Our current project is um, for a, a non-profit called Build Up Nepal, it's literally just started, and they do some great work, um, sort of trying to trying to help sort of build up um, infrastructure in in Nepal for um, you know, for, for struggling folks that need it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea is that that most of these nonprofits they're going to have data. It might have come from somewhere. It might have come from um, some guy collecting stuff in Excel, or it might have come from a, a survey or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, there isn't necessarily a dedicated di- data science. Um, person who can you know who can produce these results and give it back yes. to the ceo and say right this is what we need to do um, yeah sure chances are there is such a person but they've got much more important things to be doing running the running the charity or, or sort of being out in the field and mm. um, so you know we we get sometimes you know 30 40 50 60 different um submissions all from people um 
people like me, but from people around the world who who want a chance to sort of um, produce a really good sort of storytelling uh, dashboard or something with a call to action, something that will mm-hmm. highlight this non nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And the, the great thing is, I mean, it's it would be lovely to say, you know, that there's been sort of huge leaps and bounds made with charities as a result of, of what we've done. Um, you, you don't always know it, know that, but sometimes it's the little things like when we get a chance to present back to the uh, to the nonprofits, um, all sorts of people who take part, we give them the opportunity to, to join a Zoom meeting, um, talk back to the clients, show their own um, work back. And often, you know, these are these are students in their sort of first, first second, third year of experience. Sure. And um, sometimes I will say, we didn't know that, you know, you've, you've looked at the data, you've crunched it, the, the figure at the top there, you, you know, we've helped 11,000 villages. That's great. We only thought it was 4,000. We hadn't done the sums properly. It, yes. it can be as simple as that, just yes. really yes. Um, helping them understand um, the, the data. So it's, um, yeah, it, it feels like um, it's a, it's a, it's another great way to get involved, um, and it's a it's a good way of of um, thinking, putting yourself in the mind of right. What does my client want? What will really help them, rather than just sort of you know doing something um, creative or, or learning a new skill for the for the sake of it. So um, we're we're pretty um, proud of it and and how sort of how it's lasted sort of four five six years and is is going strong now. Um, and it's a we, we think it's a really good opportunity, not just for tablet people, but for anyone to to flex their um, data visualization muscles and um, really get involved in something that um, that does good. Great, excellent, and I, I encourage listeners to look into it as as the trustee of a charity as well. I know how much of a difference it can make having external expertise coming with those fresh pairs of eyes, and and when it encourages people who are just far too busy delivering the work day in day out, yeah. that can be gold dust. So well well done. The um, the other thing I wanted to ask then, which I've asked a number of guests, but this time focusing on your area of expertise, data visualization, is what other tips you'd have looking back over your career for people who are earlier in their career. Now, I ask this for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because I've discovered that I've got a fairly balanced uh, audience for this podcast, those who are older and probably more from talking with people, probably a bit more senior in their careers, and those who are more starting out as well, they're kind of younger analysts or data scientists or data visualizers, and they're still picking up the skills. I guess we've talked about technical skills, particularly, and how you might learn your technical craft. Are there other skills or knowledge you'd encourage these people to look into developing in order to go on and succeed in their careers? Um, yes, it's, it's interesting. In, in a way, I sort of feel like I fall in between the, the two stools of, of what you've mentioned. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not so young these days, but I, I still feel like I'm, I'm relatively new and enthusiastic on the data visualization side of, of my career. Although, okay. I, you know, five, six, seven years in, that's, that's not so new these days. Um, so what I would, what I would say, and like you say, we've, we've mentioned the, um, the technical side of things and how you can improve, but Again, it's just sort of build up, build up networks, um, mm. and, and you know, I as I said, you know, um, networking to me for twenty twenty five years was just what people did when they put on a suit and went and schmoozed with someone at uh, conferences or whatever. All these things that I didn't know what they were or got invited to, mm. but um, I've 
I've never built up network quite so much as as I have since sort of I'm getting involved in data visualization. Um, and I think because it's a new field and and it's a diverse field and everybody is really interested in in um, helping people up and finding out the different ways that people do things. Hmm. Um, you you gain so much from from your uh, from your networks. You know, um, there's no way I would have been doing a, a podcast five years into my previous career because I wouldn't have felt that I had any you know anything interesting to tell anybody. Hmm. But um, I, I feel like you know getting these opportunities getting the opportunities to um to go along to events or user groups or conferences i know that's that's harder these days um but obviously there's some some great online alternatives yeah um and if you know it's not for everyone but if you get the opportunity to to do that internally even you know if you're in a good company where you have the chance internally to have um discussions to have lunch and learns to have um you know maybe internal user groups that kind of thing um, even that feels like a, a a newer way of doing things to me which can can really help um if nothing else it it, it helps your confidence you know i mm. there's i wouldn't have i wouldn't have spoken for more than 30 seconds in public until i'd until i turned 40 um, but just sort of you know changing field and changing um the way i worked and the way i got involved in things has um made a difference in you know, not just technically what I do, but um, in all sorts of other different opportunities as well. So that's what I would say really is just work on building up your your network, but it's not as nearly as daunting a thing as you think. It, it's the kind of thing that just sort of try and help it grow organically, so to speak, and uh, just sort of, you know, look out for folks who can who can help you. There's a lot of people out there who, who sort of offer to be uh, mentors, um, and you know, a, a lot of people gain a lot from mentor-mentee relationship as well. Mm-hmm. So whether that's again within your your work network or or your external networks, look out for for things like that because yeah, you know, it's everybody wins from it. I feel. Yes. Yes. Indeed. Yeah. Good advice, Neil. Thank you. I, I echo that completely. Okay. Well, you've given how you were before forty. You you've eloquently <laughs> shared with us today, Neil. Thank you for that. The closing question, and one that I've asked a lot, not all, but but a lot of the guests on the podcast. And I'm really intrigued because I never know what people are going to say. And I, you may be one of my least predictable as to what you'd say here, Neil. So it'll be intriguing. Can you give us an example of something you've changed your mind on in the last few years? Crikey, I feel, I feel like I've um, I should come up with something really unpredictable now <laughs> Sorry, uh, no, no pressure feel free to be so, mundane as um, well no yeah uh I'll, I'll resist the temptation for a flipping answer no I can actually I can think of a good idea um because from a sort of technical well from a data visualization perspective um mm. I think maybe two or three years ago um Blazer was working out I was sort of responsible for the for the style guide and the look of the dashboards and we, we had yeah. people coming in and um I developed it rigidly within the uh, the style guide of the company. So using all the company colors uh-huh. and the company logos, uh-huh. and I felt they all had to be uh, within the, the dashboard. So that had to be the color palette that you used, mm-hmm. uh, the, the font, everything else like that. Um, and that was a, a common thing that was done. And I'd sort of spent quite a bit of time um, devising what I thought was this really good um, template for dashboards and we had new folks come in and new folks who I, I i i knew through my networks and really sort of respected their work um but i thought right well i i need to sort of um explain to them the way we do things um and they said what are you doing neil you know we we 
we can't use, um, we don't want to use aerial font and we don't want to use those colors. They, they yeah. can do much better. And I, I stuck to my ground because I sort of felt, well, you know, A, this is what I've been asked to do, but, but B, this is sort of the, the best way of doing it. And I now don't think that at all because mm-hmm. um, it's, it's usually so much better to not worry about color in your business um, in your business dashboards. Think about the you know the, maybe the highlight color, the color that's going to represent your brand. Well, that's fine, but don't feel like you have to go you know have all the six different shades of blue that are in your corporate palette or, or whatever. Yeah, um, because that's you know you you're going to be showing you're going to be introducing something that isn't there. You're going to be maybe sort of um, uh, trying to convince your, your readers that you've got some kind of, um, uh, yeah, some kind of ordered scale. It's, it's really, you know, if you, if you try and force a corporate uh, look um, onto something, then uh, by all means keep it simple, like the economist or whatever, you recognize it because of that big uh, red square at the top or, you know, financial times, you can spot their palette, but, Generally, that's not the thing to do. And I would I would take it one step further as well, because um, I insisted we had to use Arial. That's what we used. That's what was used. So it was the closest approximation to what was used on the website. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the new folks come in, really didn't like Arial. And I thought, well, I don't really have an opinion, but this is this is kind of what we do and always have. And it's only recently I realized that, you know, the accessibility issues, um, mm-hmm. uh, Emily Kund, who, who does great work on accessibility in the community, says, you know, I can't use Arial because my kid doesn't understand if you put the word ill, why do the I and the two L's all look exactly the same? It's not possible mm-hmm. to read. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's just an example, I suppose, of the fact that I'm always learning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, you know, as you go through that accessibility is an important thing and you might learn, well, try and avoid putting red and green together. But mm-hmm. You know, issues with fonts, you, you just might not know until someone takes the time to show yeah. you something or to explain something. You know, they can make your opinion sort of um, change on a, on a sixpence. And that was another example of, of that. And when, when we had that conversation a, a few weeks ago, I thought, wow. So, you know, those people who were desperately trying to get me to change from aerial font two or three years ago, they were right. Um, yes. but I, and I yes. was just sort of um, holding on to principles that I thought were, were the right things at the time. Well, it's very, yeah, very open. Yeah, absolutely. We, we all are. It's very open of you, Neil, and that, that makes good sense. I think it possibly shines a light on one of the reasons data visualization continues to fascinate me is it, it's such a polymath activity. There are so many different fields of expertise and perspectives, artistic, scientific, mathematical, almost engineering, um, as well as language. It, it is just a, a wonderful place to ever be learning. So thank you for sharing that, Neil. And thanks for, for your time today and, and everything you've shared with us. It has, as I expected it would be, Neil, been a pleasure to chat with you. Oh, thank you, Paul. It was a pleasure to chat with you as well. Um, yes, once I start talking data visualization, I can uh, I can I can talk for hours. So I, I hope um, I hope this was useful. I'm, I'm sure it, sure it will be. And listeners, thank you all for listening as well. I hope you found that helpful and continue to listen to the Customer Insight Leader podcast. More great interviews coming up. And each week, there's also fresh content on our blog, customerinsightleader, or oneword.com. So you might want to check that out too. Before then, thanks everyone for your time. Have a great week. And perhaps you can also reflect on how you might be able to develop your skills in data visualization this year. Bye for now and keep learning.